Hey guys, happy Wednesday and welcome to season two of the Drive Through Moms podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Nitcher. I've always had a huge heart for moms and their lifelong job of raising children, their struggles, joys, and experiences that are so often 100% different from my own. Each week we get to hear the story of an ordinary mom serving her family, community, and the Lord in amazing ways. Seeing the gifts and talents of others and watching how God has worked in their life inspires me daily. We are all in this motherhood game together, and I believe we can benefit immensely from listening and encouraging each other through what God has done in our own lives. What a privilege it is to share these amazing women with you. I'm so glad you're here. Here we go. Today, I have the pleasure of being able to talk to a longtime childhood friend, uh, Rebecca Connell, that I'm so excited is on today. Um, Rebecca, how are you? I'm so happy you're on. Well, thank you, Lynn. I appreciate um, you having me on. I'm kind of nervous about it, so I hope everything no. goes well. But <laughs> it's, it is. It's just like talking to an old friend because... Um, I, we have known each other for a very long time and I'm excited to be here with you tonight. Thank you yeah, for having we, me. Of course. Yeah. No, don't be nervous. It's fine. I, of course, I always get nervous. In fact, right before I came in here, um, we were finishing dinner and I told Reggie, go, okay, pray for me. He goes, babe, it's fine. You're going to be fine. I'm like, I know, <laughs> but still, I still get nervous and it's my show. Um, so before we get into really kind of the, the meat of what I want to talk about, especially with you, um, because of your expertise in your field and where you've worked the last however long, and we'll get to that. But um, just in prepping and praying over what we were going to talk about today, I kept thinking about some of my favorite memories of you as a kid. And I don't even really remember when, like how old we were when we met, but we went to the same church. Mm-hmm. Our dads worked together. And um, I remember spending a lot of time at your house. Mm-hmm. Um but some of the things that I think were some of my favorite memories were um, your parents, your mom in particular. Um, and this may sound silly, but I remember bologna sandwiches <laughs> and learning how to fry donuts. Yes. And making little pizzas out of English muffins. Just your mom always okay. had this spirit of like, what can I teach you and what can we do and super creative, um, (laughs) you know, and I think one of, when I think about one of the other things that I loved about your parents and, um, just to kind of set the mood and the atmosphere of what you grew up in from my perspective, um, was there chairs that sat next to each other in a living room with a table in between them, both with their Bibles out all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think your mother probably had the first journaling Bible (laughs) that that I would remember because she always had, you know, her colored markers and was constantly, (laughs) I just, I love that about her, but that's some of the sweetest memories that I have about your parents and kind of where you came from. Um, Yes. And you know, it's funny because I was trying to think about exactly, I don't ever remember the very first time we met. You've just always been in my life. Yeah. And even before we moved to Dallas, um, to Trinity Temple, um, I know we knew each other before then because I remember the first time walking into that church and I saw you and I was so excited because it never registered with me that you went to church there. So I was right. so excited because I knew somebody there in, in our new home where we had moved. And so I don't remember exactly where we met either, but I know we've known each other for a very long time. Yeah. And, and I don't know if it was one of those things that our parents knew each other. Maybe it was camps. You know, we went to the same camps, revivals, seminars. All those kind of things. I'm sure maybe we, we did grow up in the same same circle and um, and and have a lot of those memories because I, I have some of those memories of your family too because you're right we spent a lot of time we grew up in each other's homes and and I remember too going home with you on Sunday after church and having lunch and your mom always carrying her glass of tea with her and <laughs> today it's diet coke so <laughs> okay okay and we you know that long drive from Dallas to Duncanville out in the boondocks way back then right. you know, it, there was nothing out there way back then right so I do have some great memories um 
of our, of our childhood and growing up together. Yes. And snickerdoodle cookies. Right? And snickerdoodle mm-hmm. cookies. And, yes. and on top of all those sweet memories, maybe a little Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd thrown yes. in there along. Yes. <laughs> listening to rock and roll was taboo for me i couldn't do it but we always i always did it on the fly and oh my gosh and and i I still like it to this day so yeah oh for sure for sure i think that's where (laughs) i probably got my love for it too was a lot of the stuff that we listened to um is probably where uh, i first started liking a lot of this stuff and i still listen to a lot of it now i mean i'm very Mm -hmm. much into lyrics and things that, you know, might not be something that I want in my head, but I love listening to good classic stuff. In fact, I think I've probably uh, taught Reed a lot of that stuff when he was in middle school. We got to where we were like, okay, who sings this song? And he was like, mom. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, But anyway, so anyway, so good times, good memories. I love all of that stuff. Um, But before we get into kind of the rest of what we're going to talk about, tell me a little bit about, so um, obviously we went to church together for years, grew up in high school, and then, um, you know, what happened past then, and, you know, just share a little bit about Terry and the boys and kind of um, your life past, you know, we obviously lived not that far apart from each other, which is really sad. We're like an hour apart, maybe. I don't even know if we're that far. <laughs> we don't talk that see each other that often, for sure. But um, just kind of tell me a little bit about your family and uh, you and the boys. Well, and you know, life happens. Um, and, and we do move on. I still hold you very dear in my heart. But, um, you know, just like everything else, you know, things change a little bit. Um, I did um, marry. I married... Um, one of my best friends, Terry, and he is, he is now my best friend. And um, we've been married for a long, long time. Um, I was a junior in high school when we met and we married, I was in college when we married and, um, you know, life happened and I did not finish college at that point. Um, got married and moved off. We moved to Wichita Falls and, um, not long after, we married and moved away. I had our first son, Blake, and um, living in Wichita Falls was hard on me because it was the first time that I had been away from friends and family. He had some family that lived there, and um, so needless to say, we did not stay long. Um, we ended up moving back into the Dallas area, but I think by that time, you had moved away and had gone to college. And so um, we stayed there in the Dallas area for a couple of years and then moved to Bridgeport, where I live now, and um, moved here. And shortly after we moved here, we had our second baby, which was another son, Alan, and um, just kind of have spent our life here. And, you know, um, Terry grew up. And in a home that he moved around a lot, you know, he went to many different schools. He was never really settled. And that was one thing he said, if it, if it's the Lord's will, he really wanted our family to stay in one place and not have to go through what he went through and moving around. Right. Um, and, and we have, the Lord has um, let us make our home here and we have uh, been here ever since. And, my boys are now in their thirties. I can't believe it. And, um, not married. Neither one of them are married. I don't have any grandkids yet. So I don't have any experiences as a grandparent, but, oh, um, me either. And I, I keep know. bugging mine. I'm like, okay, come on. I'm, I'm a <laughs> little ready, say, but I have, I have grand dogs and I love my grand dogs, but no grandkids <laughs> yet. So no grandkids yet. That's okay. But yeah. So tell me about you. So you've been in Bridgeport for um, for a while since Alan was born then. Mm-hmm. And then, so gosh, yeah, so you've been there about 30 years. So did you stay home with the boys when they were little? Did you go to work? Kind of what was that like? Well, no. Um, I, I tried staying home when they were little. But, you know, um, like I said, life happens. And um, we were, we neither one of us had graduated from college at that point. So, you know, we didn't have, we didn't go into careers or anything. We were just trying to make ends meet. And um, we quickly found out that 
Um, it takes uh, two parents sometimes to get out and work in order to be able to support your family. And so I did the odd jobs. I did the babysitting and things. And um, at first in, in my home, and, and that helped for a while. And then when the boys got a little bit older, I decided, you know what, I could make a little bit more money if I went to work um, outside the home. And so... I ended up working in a daycare and um, because I could go to daycare, my children could go, didn't have any expense um, on that end. I could take my children with me and I got paid. So I got paid to work in the daycare and my children got the care for free. And um, I found my love for working with children. I'd always loved working with children though. I mean, back when we were in, you know, in church, we would, work in the nursery and work in Bible school and always work with the little ones. And I've, I'd always had a love for that. And, um, even through, as I grew up, um, and as the boys were little, you know, working in children's church and working in Sunday school. So, you know, daycare wasn't that much different from that. Um, the only difference, the, the main difference was, um, you know, it wasn't Christian based. And so um, I, working in the, the daycares that I worked in, though, I was allowed to do a little bit of, um, you know, singing the Sunday school songs and talking a little bit about Jesus. But um, right. working in, in the daycares was kind of um, my first experience of working with children outside of church. But I still had that love for children and um, working in the daycares just kind of moved me into the direction that I eventually ended up in um, in Head Start. But yeah, we were, we were working parents. Both of us um, seems like we've always worked and we made it, we made it work with our children, you know, taking turns. Um, Terry may, he may work, he might have worked a different shifts so that I could work different times. So, the children were always taken care of, but, um, we, we made it, we made it through, um, as working parents, not easy, but right. the Lord provided for us and provided jobs that allowed us to take the time off we needed to, to raise our, our kids, go to functions, school functions. And, um, I think that you hit a, a big point is that, that I see a lot, at least in, um, like I stayed home, for a really long time, but when I did go back to to work, started kind of the same way you did. Is what what fits my kids' schedule? Mm-hmm. What fits that's conducive to being a mom, being accessible as much as I can, and yet um, in an atmosphere that you were comfortable in. Um, I mean, I worked in a private preschool. Then when Amanda got ready to go to college, started working in a public preschool and worked for a title in one school here in McKinney. And then, um, you know, had been in preschool based education, um, 12 to 13 years roughly. But that was one thing that you mentioned that I saw all the time at one of my last jobs. Um, we had like 65 teachers and the majority of the teachers that worked for us had their own children that came there. So they, they needed a job they needed, you know, to be able to contribute and take, help take care of the family, um, but they still wanted to be close to their kids. So the mm-hmm. fact that they could work there, be paid, and bring their children, and their children still have, um, you know, opportunity for socialization um, and um, some preschool education or whatever, um, that that was just huge because moms just, you know, yeah. used to kind of can be torn. You want to be with them, but you need to help, and yet that kind of provided an avenue for both. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so you started out working in daycare and then you said you ended up, how did you go from daycare to, you mentioned getting to Head Start? And that's kind of where I want to land for a little while and kind of talk about Head Start for people that don't really know much about it. I don't know much about it, but had a little, um, encounter with it, um, through the Title One school that I mentioned, but just how did you go from daycare to Head Start to start okay. with? Right. Well, um, like I said, um, we didn't have a lot, you know, back in the early days, if, if you're a young couple and, and you, you make a six figure income or even a high five figure income, then, you know, 
you're really doing good. But I don't know a lot of couples that go right into marriage and having a family that have a setup like that. So, you know, it, it's hard. You, you do struggle. And back in our early days, it was a struggle. You know, it was a struggle to make ends meet. And we didn't have the best paying jobs. And um, so we actually, the funny thing is, we actually qualified for Head Start um, way back in the day. Um, there was a, a group of Head Start people that were um, recruiting children out in front of Walmart one day. And the lady handed me a flyer and she said, um, here, I want you to learn about our program. And I said, oh, this looks interesting. It, it was a program to teach young children in their homes. And she said, you ought to you ought to sign up for it. So when I got to looking at it, um, Head Start was income based, and I thought, oh, well, I don't know if we would qualify. And I took her all of the documents that she needed, and she figured up our income, and we qualified. So you know that was kind of a blow to me to realize, oh, you meet these poverty guidelines, so you can get into Head Start. Um, your child can get into the program. And so my oldest son, Blake, was actually a Head Start kid. Um, But I truly believe God puts us in places in our lives um, to teach us lessons. There's a purpose for that. And so even though we were struggling um, to make ends meet, you know, um, working in a daycare and and Terry working landscaping and in a prison system at that time, he was a guard at a prison um, here in Bridgeport. He helped build it and landscape it. And then he went to work there, you know, not the greatest jobs on, on earth, but God had a plan for us by putting us in this position. And um, one of the reasons that we we were put in that those positions was I feel, I really truly feel like um, to get my foot in the door in Head Start because um, once I filled out all the paperwork for Blake, um, we realized that we met those qualifications for income and Blake was actually um, admitted into the Head Start program. And back at that, in that time, they were doing home visits and they would come to our home one day a week for an hour and a half and work with him. And um, I would be present and um, I would take um, part in the lessons that the teacher brought in to the home. And I really loved participating in that program. And I thought, man, I wish I could do something like this. I would love to go into people's homes so I could work one-on-one with the children instead of having a room full of children. Um, this is this is a great program. And um, one day, his teacher let me know that they had a position open. And she said, I really think you should apply for it. I think you'd do a good job as a Head Start teacher. And so I applied for the position and I got it. And um, so then, sorry, so let me just clarify. So when Blake was little then, so how old was he at this point? Four. Preschool? Four years old. He's four. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that was the Head Start program at the time was they came to the home. He never went anywhere, like to a school based program at the time or what at that time in our area that was all that was offered okay so mm -hmm. so then to qualify for that program was it um was it just financially based i know when um when i worked um at lawson and i i mean i could be wrong these are my memories of it so like i said i it was just something I was barely exposed to. But for being the Title I school there, we had an early Head Start. We had mm-hmm. regular Head Start. Um, we had monolingual, bilingual classes. And in order to be qualified to be at our school, um, I know Head Start was considered a, a whole separate entity mm-hmm. from the from the school, but that there were basically five basic ways that they could qualify for the Title I school, if I remember correctly. It was financial, um, bilingual, foster care, homeless, or military. Mm -hmm. Um, And those were the ways that, to my recollection, that they could qualify to come to this Title I preschool in order to kind of bridge that gap before they got to kindergarten. Right. So what what were the qualifications like? Like how are they, was it just financial or was it anything else that they looked at? Well, um, 
Head Start is basically you're going to, you, you must meet the income guidelines, the poverty guidelines, and you must meet the age requirements. So like you mentioned, there's an early Head Start program, which is birth to three, up to age three. And then at age three, they transition into the Head Start program, which is the three and four-year-old children. And so um, they look at the age of the child and also the income. Now, Head Start will take applications on any um, child and what it, it doesn't matter what their income is. But if you go over that poverty guideline, um, you're considered over income, which is kind of one of those. There's so many formulas and different ways to figure um, income for a lot of these um, social service programs. But basically, there is the poverty guideline that the government issues every year. And that's what we base. It goes by the number of household members and what the income for that household is. So those are your basic requirements. There are other criteria um, that you can get points for. And some of these other things that you mentioned, foster care, military, language, um, the different needs that a family may have um, are considered criteria. And you are given certain points for these different criteria. So basically children... Um, are enrolled into the Head Start program on a point system. It's not a first come surf, first serve, um, but once when you complete the application um, and you meet the certain requirements and criteria, there's points assigned. So they get into the program according to the points. So then, do you typically have? Kind of like a priority system based on the number of points in terms of like a wait list or whether or not there's a spot open and you kind of can move down the list or how does that work? Yes, they have a, um, like I said, every program and Head Start is a federally funded program. If I may give you a little bit of background on it. Yeah, um, please. Head Start was created during the um Lyndon Baines Johnson administration, and he created all of the social programs to fight the war on poverty. So Head Start started as a summer program for children in low-income homes and families um, to give them that Head Start for getting ready for school, for when when school started. So they created a program to um, introduce children to your basic requirements for school, you know, um, not just the letters and numbers, but crayons and scissors and glue. Some of these children had never experienced those things. Um, books, you know, as early childhood in this, I'm going to get on my, my love of early childhood now. Um, you know, back back in the sixties when this started, it had start started in the sixties, you know, it, it seems like a long time ago, but it hadn't been that long ago. Early childhood wasn't really a thing. You know, they, there had not really been a lot of studies done yet in early childhood. Um, and and it, early childhood was just, that field was just opening up back in the 60s. And they were just realizing that there's a lot of potential with these little ones. And um, they started doing the studies and they started realizing that, um, you know, there, there's a big gap when it comes to the socioeconomic group. Oops. And these children that come from low-income families are at a disadvantage when they start school because they they don't have the experiences that children from the middle class and the upper class have. They've not been exposed to books. They've not been exposed to rules. They've not been. They haven't had dental treatment. They don't have all. They didn't have all of their shots. Um, they didn't have good nutrition. And what they wanted to do is create a program to get children um, these things that they needed to get them more on an equal playing ground when they entered school so that they wouldn't be as behind as their peers were. And so um, that's how Head Start came to be, was to give the children that a launching pad so that they would have the opportunity to have those experiences so that they would be at a more 
advantage when they started school. So the goal of Head Start is to make these children school ready and have them ready to enter school um, in kindergarten on a more equal level with their with the peers out of the middle and upper class families. Um, Head Start started first, and then I believe in the 90s is when, um, after you know, 30 years of research in early childhood, they realized it, it starts even younger than the three and four year olds. It starts at birth. Um, so they, the Early Head Start program was created. And so, you know, when the babies are born, there's been so much research on brain development and, and the bonding and the creating relationships, even before children are able to talk, even when babies are in the womb. It, it is so important to provide the parent, the mother with the nutrition that she needs, make sure she has everything that she needs to be able to um, to grow the baby so that the baby will be healthy when it's born and then to start creating those relationships, um, the, the social and emotional um, relationships with those babies so that they can develop and, and grow. And even at such an early age, it's so important for them to have those experiences too. So, um, so early head start starts at what, like six, eight weeks? What? Um, we work with pregnant moms also. Wow. So okay. it even starts with, the, like I said, with the pregnant moms. And um, once the babies are born, we work with that mom and the baby until they're about six weeks old. Usually the typical okay. age for them to start into a center at that at, in, in the center-based program would be about six weeks old. I have to say from, um, you know, like you said, especially living in North Dallas area um, in an upper middle class neighborhood um, and pretty much growing up in that my entire life, um, I was really shocked and surprised when I started working at this Title One to see the number of kids. You just mentioned the few of the things you mentioned that just brought all these visuals back to me of, um, you know, proper dental care. I could not believe the number of three and four year olds with capped teeth. Mm-hmm. Um And that just had teeth that were rotten because either they didn't have, you know, whether that came from, you know, as they came in, maybe malnutrition when they were, um, you know, while their moms were pregnant or just, you know, poor dental habits or eating or or whatever the the issues were. I was just surprised at how many kids Um, and the school did such a great job of bringing in, um, you know, we always had people come in from a dentist office would come in and do little programs for them. Um, but, and we had uh, buses that would come and they could, um, you know, go out and sit on the bus and actually have an exam. And, mm-hmm. um, but also remember doing um, on school picture day for teachers that day is such an, it's a kind of a nightmare because kids are hyped and wired and whatever, but especially a bunch of preschoolers when you're taking their pictures. But I remember watching the early Head Start kids, um, you know, being wheeled down in cribs. You got little mm-hmm. bitty babies that are coming down and just the access to have that to families for um, exactly the reasons you said. I remember our principal at the time just really, um, bringing that home with us and it, you know, probably seemed redundant to people who'd been in education at that for a long time. But for me, that was new at the time. Um, that even just the vocabulary differences alone Mm -hmm. for a kiddo that has not been in any kind of a structured program. Um, you know, my kids all went to preschool. They didn't have to, um, we were able to afford it that they could go and go a couple of days a week. So they had some bit of structured experience before they went to kindergarten. So they kind of knew what to expect. Um, We had read to them. We had books, you know, they had those things accessible to them. Like you mentioned crayons and all that stuff that being able to bridge the gap for those kids that financially didn't have that Mm -hmm. their families didn't have that capability. Um, people, kids that were monolingual or homeless or in foster care, whatever, and that their vocabulary might be limited, that part of the goal was to increase their vocabulary alone anywhere from six to 700 words during preschool so that they go into kinder and they weren't behind any more than they had to be. So um, the home visits, I remember when, 
we did home visits for our kids before school started at the beginning of the year just to go meet them. And I remember one in particular going to the home where the parents lived, both of the grandparents lived, aunts and uncles lived, mm-hmm. holes in the floor. Yep. You could see the ground underneath. And I'm like, this is like three miles from my house. I had mm-hmm. no idea was even there. It was a little heart-wrenching. And honestly, I was a little embarrassed that I had no idea. And so... Well, And that was one of the things when I first started in Head Start, that's what I did. I was one of those home visitors. I went into the homes and I did those home visits. And I I agree with you. Um, You know, we grew up in the middle class, two-parent homes. And I I had no idea what life was really like um, in some of those homes. And like you said, this is in our country, in the United States. Um, in our towns, in the homes, you know, in the neighborhoods or the neighborhoods next to where we live. And to see those, the families living in those ways, um, it gave me an appreciation and a love for these families. And I I really feel like I I was never, the Lord never called me into um, the mission field as far as a foreign mission field, but I really feel like the Lord called me into uh, to serve him, to be able to serve these families in our own communities. Right. And um, by being there and, and being there for the families, because Head Start isn't only for the children, it's for the families too. It gives support to those families, helps them find the resources that they need to be able to make a better life for their children and to help them be prepared to enter public schools also because you know, sometimes that can be challenging for force these parents um, from these low-income homes because more than likely, you know, they may not have had good experiences in school. They may be intimidated by school. Um, they may not like school. Um, so, it, you know, we also work with families to, to prepare them for school. Sometimes it's hard. They don't have... Um, being on time to things isn't important to them. And so, mm-hmm. you know, getting those children up, getting them to school on time, it sometimes isn't important. So Head Start also helps them to see the importance of bringing your children to school every day, getting them up and getting to them to school on time. Uh, those types of things. Head Start is also um works with the families in that way. But like you were saying, doing those home visits, being in those homes, it is eye-opening, um, especially when, you, when you're when you not raised that way. Um, but it, it gives you an appreciation for these families. You know, a lot of these families didn't ask to be in these situations. Um, sure. You know, it, they, they just are. And so... You know, I, I always prayed for my families, and I still do. And 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 I know that even outside of Head Start, in a lot of the public schools, I know that teachers pray for their families too. You know, they and I love that you all did home visits because it does give you another perspective and insight into the children that you're working with and and the situations that they're coming up coming from. So mm-hmm. they're leaving those situations every day and coming into a classroom. Um, and so sometimes when these children have the challenging behaviors or, you know, have the difficulties and, and they're sometimes difficult to love, you've got to remember they may not have had the best night or they may not have gotten any sleep or maybe they didn't go to the bed on a full stomach. Maybe they didn't get dinner last night or, you know, maybe mom didn't come right. home and maybe it right. was the big brother or sister who got them up and got them to school. And so, you know, it just really opens your eyes to make you take another look at the children that you're working with. Um, whether it's Head Start or public schools, you know, it's, it's not always, um, um, a perfect thing. There's a lot more to it, right? Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's a lot more to it. And instead of just what you might be seeing in front of your face um, in in person in class to to what they're really maybe experiencing at home. Um, Well, you know, you mentioned one thing about um, food and what they were eating. So I know at least um, an example on my experience was um, we had access to the Friday backpacks through the North Texas Food Bank. Mm -hmm. So 
is that something I'm pretty sure that Head Start also uses that, but what is, are there some other agencies that you um, work with in the area that outside of just, or is it all just maybe filtered through Head Start in and of itself in terms of like, whether it's food or clothing or other resources for the family? What does that right. look like if you had a, a teacher come to you at one of the centers and say, hey, we've got this kiddo that needs X, Y, Z? Right. We, um, our program has resource books for each of the communities that we are in. So um, these resource books um, have all kind of different programs, food programs, housing, counseling, um, domestic violence, all kind of resources, different programs for all kinds of situations that families may face. And there is Head Start um, not only has teachers, like I said, they also work with families. They have what we call family advocates, family um, service workers, different programs, call them different things. But basically what they are is like, is like a social worker. And okay. so they um, are there specifically to work with the families. And um, so if there are needs that the families have these we have we call them family advocates in our program. These family advocates work with the families to try to get those needs met. So yes, so, resources and networking with the community and the different resources within the community is very important part of the program. So you started in the classroom or in in home mm-hmm. visits, you know, back in the day with. Uh, I guess if that was with Blake, then, mm-hmm. you know, 30-ish years ago. So how has your job pers- changed through the years? And maybe what are some things that you've seen changed um, along the way? Well, um, in when I got hired on as a home visitor, um, that Head Start does require employees to get their credentials. So I had to go back to school. And so that was an, another good thing for me um, is that I was able to get back into school and get, I eventually ended up with my bachelor's in early childhood education. And so um, th- as I moved through my credentialing, you know, getting my, the different levels of education through Head Start, it opened up more doors for me. Um, and so after, at, at that time in our community, we did not have centers. Um, we, we do now. So um, I was never a teacher in a center. I always did the home-based program, but I moved from being a home-based teacher into being a family advocate, like I mentioned a while ago, and working more directly with the families instead of the children. And then when we got our centers open, um, I moved from being a family advocate to um, a center director. So I was running one of the centers that we have in our county and of course being a center director you're you're in those classrooms anyway and so you know you go in and you do the the work with the teachers and so even though I was never a teacher in a classroom I worked hand in hand with the teachers in the classrooms when we got our centers up and going and then I moved from being a center director into more of the management types and and I really had to and this was over years this was over the course of you know 15 years or so because my heart was just I just loved um, working with these children and these families and this this population and you know these families they I saw all kind and living a very sheltered life that I did. Um, it, it made me see what the real world was really like. Mm-hmm. And it just gave me such a love for these people. Um, and, and wanting to really help them. And like I said, you know, I prayed for them and I, we would see, you know, some, some families didn't change, but for those those families that did change, making a difference in that one child's life or that one family's life, um, seeing them turn around, um, seeing them get jobs, seeing them get out of bad jobs and getting good jobs, seeing them get a job and 
and quit. We've had, you know, you work with, you work with families, the parents, you know, we had, we've, I've worked with moms who were strippers. I've worked with moms who were shacked up with guys who were drug dealers. Um, You work with families who are in gangs. And so, you know, going into these homes or working with these families um, and just kind of knowing how to pray specifically for them and seeing some of their lives turn around is, was just amazing for me. And it, it really, it took me a long time to, um, move from working directly with the children and families and working more in management and focusing on working with the teachers and, and the program planning and those types of things. So eventually I did move into a management uh, position and uh, I did a lot of quality control, quality assurance, quality and compliance um, and then I moved into like the education manager positions and working with operations. And now I'm the HR director. So, you know, oh my I goodness. just I know, moved along. Like I said, never in my wildest dreams would I have ever grown up thinking, I want to, I want to be in Head Start. I want to be a home visitor. But, you know, I've always had that love for children and I, I always kind of wanted to be a teacher and, but I didn't think that. You know, I always envisioned teaching as like the public schools, but, you know, I didn't know anything about Head Start. And like I said, God puts you in different positions in your life because that's where he wants you to be. And he wants you to learn and grow from those experiences. And so right. by being young and not having a lot of money to start out with, you know, put us in a position to where we could be um, a Head Start family. That's what we started out as. And um, God just moved me through that that program, and He's used me through that program, I feel like, to touch many people's lives. They may not have ever realized I was praying for them, but um, I've also had parents come back and tell me that they knew that um, I had been praying for them, and they knew that they could see God in me, and it, it made them appreciate where their child was and help them through some tough times. And so um, I know God puts us where we're supposed to be, even though sometimes we don't understand it at the time. Right, exactly. And I think that's a a big point is that sometimes, um, like you said, you you find yourself in whatever situation you are and you don't really know maybe what's on the other end of it. Um, you may think it's good or bad where you are, but you don't know really where God's taking it. But to get to the end of it or at least get on the other side of, you know, mm-hmm. it, being where you were, feeling like, okay, well, I need a job and I'm doing what I what I can right now to help the family and and to be around the boys and God use each step you take. I know anytime that, um, you know, I've, I've gone maybe from one job to the next or one thing to the next, um, I would get, you know, I have a French degree, right? What am I going to do with that? I live in Texas. <laughs> and, and Reggie was always like, honey, just do the next thing. What's the next thing? And every time I would take the next step, even though it was something that I'm like, I'm stepping into something, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, But I had the faith that maybe God put it in my path for whatever Mm -hmm. reason that um, I've seen in my life. And it's funny because everybody, all these women that I talk to um, on the show, when they come on, talk about how God's been so faithful to Mm -hmm. take each step wherever they were, build on it. And that maybe I'm talking to a lot of people that are our age and they've been through more um, and that's not a bad thing. Um, but I think we get to a point where we're a little bit older and we're like, oh, yeah, he did that. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, yeah, I learned this for this. You know, I was in this position because I was supposed to learn this so that that would carry on to this. Right. And so I think you especially are such an example of um, – you know, being at one end of the spectrum when you started out in Head Start and it building on each other and God using each experience um, to build on the next and build on the next to be able right. to help and reach these kids and just help their parents. And um, I know I've mentioned this a couple of times 
Um, but Reggie's been working with a foster care group here in town that he has just fallen in love with the ministry and he's done more volunteer work with them through the last two, three years. And um, just you meet these kids that, uh, and these are girls that are, um, they have three homes in McKinney that are kids in foster, that aged out of foster care. Mm. And one is a girl's home. One is a girl's home that are girls that are pregnant or had a baby. And then we, they just have added a, a guy's home. So they're all here in McKinney. They're kids that have no family. Um, and you meet them and you're just like, oh, God, you've been so good to me. You know, mm-hmm. you, I've, you've blessed me in ways. How can I in turn do that? For somebody else. else, And I think kind of what you said is that we don't have to be this missionary in a foreign place. I think, I don't know about you, but like I remember growing up in a a small church and we always had missionaries come and do their slideshows and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was terrified. I was like, God, I don't want to go to Africa. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, that sounds awful to admit, but I'm like, I, I, I like my family. I want to be home. Um, And as a kid, I think that that made me a little nervous in some respects. Um, but as an adult, you look at it and you're like, God puts you where you are for a reason to use your own experience, your own giftedness, your own heart's desires and passion, like you with young early childhood Head Start kiddos and their families, um, to be as ambassador wherever you are. Right. It doesn't have to be. Indonesia or wherever, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's where you are in your sphere of influence. Um, and I love that. I love hearing your story about how he's worked through all of this. Um, if there was something that you really wish the average person who doesn't know anything about Head Start knew, um, or a way even that they can, I don't know, help in some way, what is something that you wish that people that don't know anything about Head Start knew about Head Start? Hmm. Well, uh, mainly that it's, it's there. It's, it's there for this group of people for, you know, these, the low income people or the people who have more needs. Like I said, it's it, sometimes, you know, it's not necessarily the low income. We can go a certain amount over income, but they, you know, there's there's people out there with needs and, and great needs, and there are programs out there that can help them. And Head Start is one of those programs. And, and if and if we can get get them while they're little, and and work with them and work with the families, and you know what, if we can work ourselves out of jobs and Head Start, that would be wonderful. Um, (laughs) But I don't see that happening anytime soon, unfortunately. But, um, you know, just to um, promote the program and and to volunteer for in the program, um, Head Start is required to get a certain amount of in-kind. It's a percentage of what your grant is from the, the federal portion of it. Um, so, you know, we need volunteers. We need people to, um, the resources, like you were saying, you know, you had the, the buses, the dentists that would come out and the doctors that would come out, you know, to get more people who have those types of resources who can um, help provide these services or places for um, Head Start. I know their Head Start has kind of graduated into the school districts a lot, um, but you know, there's, there's just a need for people to, for communities to help provide, um, things that Head Start needs. So if there's, um, a way to get that, we call it in kind or, or the volunteer time or donations, money donations so that we can provide additional services to these children and families. Um, those are things that, that are important to Head Start. And this last year with COVID, COVID's been crazy for everybody. And it has really um, hindered a lot of that, the volunteering and Sure, that's what I was going to ask about how mm-hmm. that affected you guys. It, it really has. We've been able to continue to operate, but it's been, um, 
you know, we had to close our centers last year and we wanted to make sure the children were still taken care of. That's a whole nother story in itself. So I won't get off there. We were able to continue to provide services to the children, but you know, it's kind of scary because now the children, you know, when they're with you in your center, in your classroom all day long, that they're safe. Right. Um, But being so long at home and not knowing for sure what all they were going through was a tough tough time so sure hopefully sure. we're coming through all that right now but yeah just, so it sounds um, like education a lot it, just a community-based educational mm-hmm. knowledge of things that are out there for whether it's for them or somebody that they meet that they can share that information with just that there's resources and that there's ways because you know especially I think the last couple of years there people have been maybe from a social media perspective, more aware of ways to donate their time or donate their services or their finances. Um, And people seem to be more willing, maybe Mm -hmm. the last few years. Mm -hmm. So even just, you know, helping educate communities on what's available and really what Head Start is. Because like I said, it's embarrassing that I really didn't even know what Head Start had to offer or what it really was about until I worked at Lawson. And I'm like, that's way too old <laughs> that for me not to even know about it. So, so I'm thankful. Um, but I'm so thankful for you to be on and just chat with me about kind of your experience and, and how God's walked you through your own personal, um, experience as a mom and seeing, you know, maybe what your needs were starting out and how God used that to kind of develop your own passion mm-hmm. um, and your own and an area of giftedness for you to be able to pour back to these families that just is so sweet to hear. And I'm so thankful um, that you came on and shared with me. Um, are you good with me sharing like um, in the show notes, uh, any kind of links for um, head start in the Dallas area. I may get those from you just so I could put those yeah. on there. So absolutely. And okay. actually the region, the regional office for head start is located there in Dallas. So I can certainly get you that information. Yeah, no, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for being well, on and talking oh, to me and just kind of sharing me. your heart with us. And, um, I'm just thankful for what you're doing for kiddos, um, especially in our area and kind of help bridging that gap for those kids that don't need, uh, don't have everything or don't have the resources and availability that a lot of our kids do. Cause you know, Bible talks a lot about, um, his heart for the widows and the orphans and those that are underprivileged. And that's where Mm -hmm. the church and the body comes in. Um, so I appreciate you kind of standing in the gap for those kiddos. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks guys for listening for the drive through moms podcast. And until next week, happy Wednesday. Hey, y'all, I can't thank you enough for listening and want you to know that you have all been prayed for, for real. If you liked what you heard or it touched your heart in any way, I would so love for you to leave a great review on iTunes. But more than that, just share this with other moms that you know that might get something out of it. You can find more information about each of the episodes in the show notes, as well as our links to Instagram and the website at drivethroughmoms.org. Thank you for listening. And until next time, happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday.